Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I am here with Monica Perez. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. So you're mainstream media-ish, and yet, dare I use the A word? Absolutely. I, I, I've read with interest your, your blog post. I mean, how, how did this come about? It's quite a fascinating story. You were, you were without hope, if I remember rightly. Yes, thank you. Yes, I, I just lived in L.A. during Obama's first election campaign, 2008. And I noticed in so many windows were these literally Soviet-style posters, like color block posters of his face. And I remember thinking, how did this country get to where socialism is a marketable idea? And I just started to go back, like, thinking of what were the turning points? Was it LBJ with the fair deal? Was it FDR with the New Deal? Was it Wilson with the World War One, which I think is a good candidate, but you can keep going back to the Civil War. Uh, you can even go back to just eight years after the establishment of the country when they switched from the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution. And I started to realize that the American experiment only, and that if there is a central seat of power, it will be corrupted just as easily as an individual who has uh, whose power would be corrupted. So I just said, ah, forget it. There's no hope. I'm just going to not worry about it anymore. And then I stumbled on an interview with Hans Hermann Hoppe on the Lou Rockwell show. And it said, democracy, the God that failed. And I thought, I'm sure he's just a communist. I'm sure it has nothing to do with this. But he had not only the same general idea, but there was hope in this concept that capitalism is self-ordering. And I, I have, I gave it a lot of, a lot of thought. I mean, I ironed out really, I mean, I had to come to terms with the patents and copyrights and child safety and stuff like that. But I came to actually believe that capitalism is not only self-ordering, but not just theoretically are governments bound to be corrupt, but we have reached the point where the modern state really serves only itself and that we actually have less peace and prosperity in the here and now than we would without government. Well, it struck me many times that the American experiment in the late 18th century was specifically to create the very smallest possible government that you could have. And the result of that experiment has been by far the largest and most destructive government yeah. that the world has ever seen. That, that's not even missing a little bit. That's like, oh, well, we, we didn't quite hit the bullseye. That's right. like, well, we, the, the gun blew up and took out our whole town. Uh, it, it's just so I off think, what yeah. was proposed. I think your, I think it was a video of yours that I saw the concept that it's the lag. What you're experiencing, like the more freedom will, uh, give birth to the most oppression because you, I think maybe your point was, or I certainly think a point is that the surplus wealth, uh, the way I think of it is the surplus wealth created by capitalism feeds the parasite class. It's not that government gave, uh, made the world safe for capitalism. It's that capitalism created the surplus for a parasite class. So the more of that surplus you had, the more freedom you had, the more you can feed this beast. And of course we don't really want to think about it because in my opinion, that, that power elite, the, the people who strive for power is just like a 2% sociopaths, you know, like, I don't think it's human nature to want to fill that void. But it's definitely a consistent percentage of human beings who will always be there to fill that void, which I think is the ultimate question for narco capitalism is, is there ever a time when all of humanity can be hyper vigilant against power, make it a taboo like incest? 
right. ever? Well, I think that um, uh, I don't think you can – I don't want the job of being hypervigilant. You know, like they say, well, you, you just have to keep your eye on the government 24-7. Yeah. Otherwise – and it's like, well, first of all, their incentive to grow is far greater than my incentive to resist them because their growth gives them a whole lifestyle and power and visibility and wealth that is uh, collectively – preyed upon and therefore I might lose a couple of bucks but they gain millions right so that disproportionality of incentive means like forget it I can't possibly it's like trying to guard a heroin addict you know that their incentive to get heroin is huge and your incentive to stop them getting heroin while it might be large that theoretically is not driven by base biological desire so or like trying to control teenage sexuality you know I just don't want to be that guy who's you know or control yeah drug use or the borders I always think that these are huge economic incentives that unless you're willing to get super militant, but I think I don't, I agree with you. I don't like the hypervigilance argument for we failed the constitution. That's nonsense because what we did was we gave all this power to a central government. And we, when people say anarcho-capitalism is a utopian fantasy, I say self-limiting government is a utopian fantasy. We've proven it's not possible. The best experiment that's humanly possible was done and it failed in a big way. But I guess my lingering doubt, my lingering question is, and I'm really on the thousand year plan for people to come to terms with the fact that power cannot be like the right to self-defense can never be delegated that I'm on the thousand year plan to think that that's going to work. But I do, I can't help but feel unless there is a, like a, a real tragedy that, that or a big crisis that makes it crystal clear the cause and will keep people from accepting some kind of you know, to delegate self defense in the future. I just that's my only very very long term problem. Yeah, of course. I mean, if we we have slave catchers in the past because there were slaves escaping. If in the future everyone rejects government as an institution, then you won't have a way of funding war through debt and inflation and, and all of this kind of stuff. You won't have subsidized bloodlust. You know, whatever you subsidize, you're going to increase. So the goal, of course, is like there's nobody who advocates slavery anymore because we've evolved as a species to understand how immoral it is. When the same thing occurs for centralized coercive control, we self-defense against what? You know, once you no longer believe in the devil, right. then you don't buy insurance for exorcisms, you know? So uh, that's sort of the goal. I yes. But again, I know that sounds utopian and long-term, but I think it's certainly doable. We've had these revolutions in the past. Why not uh, more? We're not done. I mean, everyone thinks we're done. You know, no, we, no, we've no, reached I, the pinnacle of human existence. We can't possibly get better from here. It's the end oh, of history. It's like, done, really? Come that. on, look around the world. Yeah. Yeah. They have a huge crisis. But there's one last thing I will say, because it sound like I'm not the most fair answer and correct possible one. I was reading a, an essay. It's like 75 pages. It was a book called The Report from Iron Mountain. Some people say it was a hoax. It's, that's not important. But what it says in there, it was supposed to be a leaked government document. What it says in there, and it's very sophisticated analysis, it says that not that war protects society, but war is the central, and I think you've, you, this seems like your position too, war is the central theme of modern society and it says in there that if it weren't for war, people wouldn't accept the yoke of government. That, it, that these intellectuals concluded that actually the natural state is not to accept this, that we would have a revolution. We don't have to wait 
a thousand years. We don't have to have a, you know, establish a taboo that it would just fall away if people weren't scared of something from the outside. So. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly true. I mean, it is uh, it is the fate of all sentient beings to fear what's beyond the firelight. You know, like you, you've got your firelight at night that illuminates 20 feet around and then you've got these eyeballs and fangs out there somewhere in the darkness. And the idea that we need governments to protect us from governments is so circular, you know, because right. if there's no government, there's there's fun, yeah. there's no invasions. Right. You, you can't yeah. there's no draft. There's no who's going to pay for it. Right. Without the centralized right. coercive control. And so the fact that we need governments to protect us from governments is pretty much a circular argument. Now, if you give up government and everyone else keeps government, that's sort of a more challenging scenario, which is why it has to be philosophical rather than political, in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if everyone stopped believing in this stuff, then we wouldn't need to worry that much about invasion. And even if we did, or maybe space aliens come and want to use us as uh, uh, condiments for their space burgers or something, then, okay, well, then we'll band together and come up with something intelligent. Right. But um, the idea that Would you need... The government the has the right. To, yeah, the idea that you need a government to protect your property and therefore give it the right to strip you of property is is just crazy. It's like uh, it's like hiring a bodyguard to beat you up to make sure you don't get beaten up. I mean, this just doesn't make any sense, and therefore it has to have a lot of propaganda because it's so anti-sensical. Right. Anti-sensical. Yes, That's I agree. Yes, nonsense. Now you've, yeah, you've talked you've talked a lot about uh, how you think libertarianism or voluntarism has a lot to contribute to the debate on immigration, which of course is seriously yes. heating up. Is Obama's considering considering? There's lots of theories about this executive action to maybe give work authorization to five million illegal immigrants and so on, thus securing and cementing the democratic voting base for from here to eternity. Um, what do you think libertarianism has to add to the immigration debate that you'd like to see more of in the mainstream? Well, I'll tell you, there are, I think that you can see libertarians deviate from a pure freedom oriented. I mean, I recognize the right to uh, free trade, free markets, free flow of capital, uh, right to work, right to travel. I recognize all of that. But since we don't have those uh, economic freedoms, even in this country, much less everywhere else, you have kind of bastardized incentives and you can't look at the free flow as, as being the you know, come to the optimal solution, which it would. So you have people like uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe say, you can't let immigrants in because we've all paid for the roads already. But of course, we have probably more debt than the roads. You know what I mean? They're coming here, not not glomming onto our infrastructure, but taking on the burden of debt. So I don't buy that. And Ron Paul say you can't have them come in because they take welfare. And I don't think it's that either. And I, And this is what I think. I think they're huge uh, economic forces at work. One is that welfare creates a floor under which Americans won't work. And that creates a black market mm. for labor. So you're not going to get the guy, even though minimum wage isn't really binding, nobody's going to clean your house if they can figure out a way to get food stamps. I mean, there was one study that probably exaggerated a little bit out of Connecticut saying it takes $40,000 to get an American to work. $40,000 they could get from social services. That's, I think, an exaggeration. But let's just say that's this we were talking before about you can't you're not really going to police drugs to the point where you kill the drug addict to keep him away from him like the, his his urge or economic forces are so powerful that you have to be really crazy really brutal to enforce it so i see that as being a, a giant you know a sucking sound of people coming in uh, and then you get only the most desperate, the people who are willing to crawl across the border to get shot or whatever. Whereas in a free immigration society, 
you would that people would be crowded out. Of course, you'd have to get rid of that welfare floor. But here's something else that I think people don't realize is that internationally in other countries, you need to have desperately poor people in order to make that that trek. So I think things like uh, capital controls in foreign countries, which create a virtual monopoly for the IMF to come in and just there's there's this need for capital. The IMF comes in and gives it to the government who gives it to their crony friends. It doesn't alleviate poverty the way it would if you went in and said, hey, I'll give you $10,000 to open a taco stand and I'll split the equity with you. You know, like you could, it with, if there were economic freedom across borders, not only would you not have the attraction here, but people wouldn't want to leave their own country. So I think of it as uh, a failure of free, of, of uh, free markets being uh, bastardized or toyed with across the board. So when I see these people come in, I think, well, why are they coming? Well, because we, we created failed states in their countries through drug wars, for example. And if that's the problem, then why is the UN coming here and telling us that the UN has any, it does, but it claims should be addressing the fact that these are failed states. That, that there are, uh, that our unfair policies create not only this, um, skewed immigration situation here, but that you know, it just feels like a river of migration coming from the poorest to us. And I, I think that it's all a function of government, uh, of government policy. So I'm not saying build a wall or let everyone in. What I'm saying is you can't pick and choose your freedoms. You can't exploit our libertarian tendencies. To your little, little when the big picture, these big flows, these big economic forces aren't going to stop unless you address the the um, interference with markets overall, which I think kind of comes yeah, from, the I mean, top, I, from the UN and stuff. And there's things that politicians policies that politicians have far more control over than the border. The border will never be secure. I think that's important. For, like, you'll never stop drugs coming in. I mean, you can't even Unless keep drugs out of prisons. So even if you turn all of America into a prison, drugs will still come in. You can't stop prostitution. You can't stop gambling. You can't stop illegal immigration. But you can directly stop those policies that are causing instability in foreign countries. And and that is, of course, but that, that requires an order of magnitude of intelligence right. in your thinking because people see, right. oh, they're pouring across the border. It's like, well, maybe right. if we stop the fire raging behind them, they'll stop coming in. But everyone thinks, well, we'll just seal these up. And it, it's never going to work. But you can stop giving money to the IMF. You can stop the war on drugs. These things can be done internally. You can stop selling arms around the world. You, you can uh, stop – a, a firebombing or, or napalm bombing a, a Colombian fields where you think there's cocaine. You can stop dumping agricultural, subsidized agricultural produce on local markets, thus driving the local farmers out of business and turning them either to drugs or to emigration. You can do a lot of things to stem, stem the source, but there's almost nothing I think that you can do to prevent uh, where, where people are spilling over. That's why I resent when the mainstream media propagates and the Republicans frame the issues for their political experience. Like you were talking earlier about uh, this notion of impeachment, you know, of Obama, uh, the White House. Other people 
it becomes a political weapon where people are for or against the wall, you know, the, the wall between Mexico and America. But that's that's really not the issue at all. As you're saying it, you have to dig in, which is why. Uh, and this goes to an anarcho-capitalist concept. It's why like a, a democratic republic like ours shouldn't have such complicated policies because we can't as individuals control it. And also the fact it's a problem with democracy itself, because if, if democracy is permitted as it's been growing in this country beyond its original containment, it really shouldn't be able to take our rights away in this country, but really it can. So if you have that ability that an average person can vote, I mean, I understand individual votes don't count, but uh, on as a block, if you can have these movements move elections, take our rights away, all of a sudden you have to care about things like culture, which are no business of the government. You have to care that people are raised, which is why, like a lot of times or mostly everywhere, citizenship goes with the parents because you need to be inculcated from youth with the with the values to defend, you know, say the Bill of Rights or whatever you think represent this small government, this unusual experiment that we have really takes an understanding of why it's ultimately the right way to go. But but that's the problem with democracy. Now we have to care who comes over because they get to vote. I would love to live in a world, Monica, where I didn't have to care about the opinions of other people so much. You know, wouldn't it be great? Like, I don't care if people like a movie that I think is bad or music that I think, I don't care. Go listen to your music. Go yeah. watch your movie. But it's like with voting, it's like now I have to pay attention yes. to the opinions of uninformed people. And isn't that really annoying? It's like you've got to get, let people who don't know which end of the violin to hold into the orchestra. It's like now you care about how well they play. And then you're even more of a victim of things like the mainstream media, the political machine, these things that you have no control over who are masterful at at psychological manipulation. They're masterful. You have no hope telling your neighbor, hey, you know, if you just were a libertarian, we'd be, you know, better off. Your kids would be happier. You know, it doesn't matter at all what that person and especially when you see it's not only manufacturing consent that they do. They manufacture advocacy. Like when you talk to the regular guy, he is defending the shadow government, whether it's from the Republicans or the Democrats. We need this or that. And it's like, look, it's us versus them. Why are you defending either either argument, even with the immigration debate, either side? They're just using it for political expedience. Yet the man on the street will get really angry if you try to strip that away. Well, you lean over your fence with your neighbor and you say, with my few words, shall I undo 15,000 hours of government school indoctrination and everything you see on the mainstream media and all the things you see in the movies? And it's like standing in front of a tsunami saying, stop, I have words. (laughs) You're toast. I mean, it's so impossible. That's why I don't really care so much about if people share my philosophy or even if people agree Who's at the top? Like people really get it. So I mean, people, some people think interdimensional beings are really at the top in the holes of government. I'm not kidding. It's a totally, yeah. So you've got like, you know, Satanists, stuff like that at the top. And my argument is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a, a, a genuine um, true believer in socialism or libertarianism or internet dimensional beings. Our real problem right now is that, uh, people don't recognize that they're being manipulated, brainwashed constantly with total untruth that, that, the, that Fox, CNN, whatever, are not 
they're not just putting out news with a spin. Their goal is not at all to impart information, simply to persuade, to influence. That's all it's there for. And, and until people recognize that there's no kernel of goodness or truth in it, even though facts do get reported from time to time, it's only if it serves the purpose. And even facts get, get totally distorted. Okay, so let's dive into something that, that you and I have both, uh, I guess, reported on, which is uh, the um, Malaysian flight. It was at MH17 that went down uh, in Ukraine. So what's your take on what the media has been doing with that, and in particular the, uh, pol- the political media? Well, I haven't seen uh, your stuff on that, so I don't know if we'll disagree. But the one thing I will say absolutely about the media is uh, if I I keep reading, I keep this is what I I believe. I believe that, say, let's take Fox News and RT, Russia Today, as two propaganda arms of government policy, let's say. Uh, I just assuming. So whatever the truth is, you're going to get from uh, the one who happens to be right and the one who happens to be wrong is going to spin the lies. So I don't take with faith uh, the Russian version of the news or the American, but every time I look, somebody sent me this morning an email from The Economist, which really seems to present itself as a very sophisticated magazine for you know bankers and stuff. And it went through how what an unbelievable... POS liar Putin is. It's unbelievable. He's like not a human being. Like, how can he think this way? He's such a liar. It makes you sick. And if you don't believe all the um, YouTube videos that John Kerry relies on, then you could uh, just go back to the fact that this guy is trying to invade Ukraine. He's trying to take it over. He's annexing Crimea. And because every one of the articles ultimately goes back to this premise that Putin Putin's interest in Ukraine is his expansionism. When you listen to, I, I assume you've heard it, the Victoria Newland Jeffrey Pyatt tapes, where the Assistant Secretary of State of the United States had a, it was a four or five minute call with, uh, it's amazingly, it's not, it's never played in the mainstream media, but Jeffrey Pyatt, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, an ambassador, they have a conversation. Um, This was leaked in the beginning of February before the coup happened. I don't know when the conversation happened where they discuss how they're going to put a puppet government into Ukraine. And if, yeah, if they don't get it to, uh, what did he say? Um, If it starts to gain altitude, if it, if when it gains altitude, Russia is going to try to torpedo it, explaining totally that it's a, uh, that Russia's reacting to this. And also another call demonstrates very clearly that snipers killed police and activists in the Maidan in Kiev um, whenever it was, was it February? And that uh, that's what sparked this violence. So it was in all quarters, not a Russian, uh, they, Russia didn't initiate it. And since the propaganda machine keeps tra- going back to the thread that Russia initiated it, once you blow that up, they need to come up with a lot more evidence to convince me uh, but yet they just all they say is those people lie. That's all they say is that Russia lies. Well, you know, the great thing. Yeah. I mean, the the great thing about being an anarchist is, you you know, there's no good guys. There ain't no bad guys. Right. It's like both these teams should be off the field and the people should play uh, because, I mean, of course, the guys. 
the guy's ex-KGB. I mean, he's got so much blood in his hands, he makes Lady Macbeth look somebody advertising for Dove Soap. And uh, the idea that, that he's somehow not going to do bad things, of course he's going to do bad things. And the American government, they, they dumped $5 billion in to destabilize the regime over the last 20 years. And, I mean, Paul Kravick Roberts has good arguments that they paid some of the protesters to, to go out and make things look bad. If I mean, proportional to population, I can't even imagine. That would be like Russia dumping, what, $50 billion into an organization in America specifically designed to overthrow the U.S. government. Hi, NSA. I always like to sort of throw that in when I, <laughs> this stuff comes in. But, I mean, of course that would be something that the American government would I, react uh, injection. against. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Yes, I, I just wanted to point out that I heard about that $5 billion when Victoria Newland came back from one of trips in November or December and, and was recorded. It was normal recording, um, not like a secret recording. It was a video recording of her presenting to Chevron and I think Exxon saying, hey, we're almost there. We put $5 billion in it. Just hang on. We're going to give you, we're going to deliver Ukraine. You know, you that's insane to me. I mean, it. When people say these wars are for oil, it's just, to me, it seems so hackneyed. But then when you see our assistant secretary of state reporting to oil company executives from two different oil companies in a joint meeting, you know, you just wonder what, uh, who's calling the shots. Oh, madness. Absolute madness. And, um, how do you think that this has played into or, or do you think this is um, uh, the spin that came out of the downed airline uh, in particular? Um, how, how do you think that's played in? Well, I think their number one, I, I have to say, it seemed to me that just I, I never really accept incompetence as an argument when there's no motive. I just if there's any chance there's a motive, I never accept incompetence as an answer. So. Our, the West says that the rebels' incompetence led to the downing of this commercial airliner, which they would not benefit from. But if the if Kiev did it, they would get what I think a couple of things that kind of break in the momentum because the resistance was winning access to that specific area. If that's what if that had any um, tactical value, but what our guys, what Fox News came out with, I mean, the minute I turned on the TV after I heard about MH17. They were telling us what needs to happen. And what they were saying was last night, Obama came out with sanctions that Europe would not join. And unilateral sanctions have no effect. But worse than that, our big companies have told, really resisted this, told Obama, this is no good because that leaves a vacuum that European companies can fill and we will never get our place back. So we need Europe to join these sanctions. And then the next day, the big message just repeated, repeated was now Europe has to join the sanctions now. And, and they if I read today in The Wall Street Journal, looks like Europe uh, is uh, there are now at least factions pushing for. I think Merkel said uh, we have to forget our economic interests. This is a humanitarian. This is a moral question now. So they made it a moral question. I mean, I don't know. There's no evidence. We'll never know. I mean, we'll never have proof. Even if there were proof, we wouldn't know which one was real and which was not real. So I don't expect to crack the code. All I can say is who benefits. Yeah. And do you have any thoughts? Uh, now we get to put you in the dangerous territory of prognostication. Okay. Do you have any thoughts about how things are going to play out in the region? I, I really think in really, really big picture, uh, you know, um, goals. I want, you know, that's how I think. I never really know 
you know, 15,000 feet, maybe not even 30,000 feet, but I do feel like I have a grasp on 60,000 feet or at least some idea. And when Putin was pushing back on Syria, I still felt he was playing the gentleman's game. But when he leaked, I assume it was him, leaked these Newland um, Pyatt tapes about the U.S. ginning up this coup in Ukraine, I really felt like it was a game changer, like a paradigm shift, that Russia wasn't really in the club anymore. He was just not willing to take the second chair. And uh, because I, I think originally my assumption, all, all evidence pointed to Russia, China, the U.S., the U.K., whatever, all kind of agreeing to share. They, they, you know, they, some people get bigger piece of the pie, some people get smaller piece of the pie, but everybody's kind of playing the same game because to have the whole pie at the top is just, you know, who's going to rock the boat? It's like OPEC. It kind of doesn't make a ton of sense to have a cartel, but if you really, if everyone can get fat and happy, but now, you know, I kind of wonder, and the only clue I found was uh, big new Brzezinski, who tends to kind of lay out the big picture in advance, kind of softens up the more sophisticated audience said he thinks that we're looking at a bipolar world of U.S. and China, and Russia has to play second fiddle. So I think the big, big picture goal is to force Russia to acknowledge it's not willing or able to really combat us on the world scale. And then beneath that, though, I think we always love to have if we can't own a thing, chaos is just fine. Like we, we're totally happy to have Central Asia, uh, you know, a complete mess. So China and Russia don't have the oil. We're never going to get their oil. That oil probably we're not going to dominate that region. But if we can just, you know, break down the walls uh, and let radical Islam flood into Central Asia, those people lose control. Any kind of chaos, I think, to us is almost as good as actual control. So if Ukraine devolves into chaos on the border of Russia. That's good enough, I think, for the people who want to make sure the power stays to the West. But do I think Russia will invade Ukraine? I don't think they want Eastern Ukraine. So, well, you think it's a lot of debt and a recalcitrant? Well, no, it's a lot of yeah. debt and it's a recalcitrant population. And so, why why would they? They have a beneficial economic relationship with Ukraine as it is, uh, right. as long as they, they have influence paying. over the government and can tax. Yeah, why, why, why do you want to own something when it's paying you a dividend? It's like moving into an apartment house that you rent out to other people. I mean, what, why bother? I mean, you don't need ownership right. and direct control in order to profit from the region. Crimea was totally different in that uh, it's a hundred percent like unanimous that they wanted Russia, but it had military value because that's where the ships are, and um, and it's got a lot of coastline i imagine that's like a, actually a nice place to be i don't know so let me try and pin you with an uh, the last question that i really have um is uh, 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 tiny introduction so obviously american the american system as it stands is sort of crony capitalism or capitalism can't can't continue it can't sustain itself anything that mathematically can't continue shockingly at some point will not continue and what do you think is going to happen uh, at some point? We don't have the real numbers, right? There's shadow stats or whatever, which says these are closer to the real numbers. But the real numbers, I'm sure, are very closely guarded secrets about how close we are to the wall uh, in in the West uh, and in particularly in America. So what do you think is going to happen um when uh, it's hard to think that there's going to be some big awakening, most people are reactive rather than proactive. So it's not not likely to be some big moral awakening about the non-aggression principle and property rights. Before that, there is going to be a crisis point. Uh, it may be softer, it may be hard, depending on on how much the numbers have been withheld from the public. But what do you think is going to happen when 
the wall does mathematically hit the uh, sort of tottering system at the moment? Well, I guess if I were to imagine a kind of near-term crisis that we wouldn't just limp along for 200 years in this weird tyranny, if if there were a break in, say, the petrodollar and the for some reason Saudi Arabia stopped denominating or they were no longer the dominant player in oil, and then all those petrodollars, as many times the number of dollars out in the world as is here, they would flood back, then we have this awful inflation Potentially, and and we we are, I think, a seventy percent import. Our goods are seventy percent imported, so we would have to kind of reindustrialize. That would be the crisis that I would guess if it, one were to happen. And at that point, I think uh, that's why I feel like Ron Paul was all he wanted was to spread ideas out. I don't think he ever. I've actually heard him say he didn't really want to win presidency. They probably would have killed him anyway. But that they wanted to, that he just wanted to get the ideas out there that there should be an alternative. Because when the EU, when the monetary union was shaky, which maybe it still is, but the kind of debt crisis six years ago, uh, which started there, I remember thinking, well, now they have to realize that this kind of weird union doesn't make sense. You're not better off. And of course, George Soros came out and said, oh, the only answer now is political union. We just need to double down on this uh, collectivist idea, this hierarchical structure. And so I keep thinking we're going to have this crisis here and we're going to have the second American revolution and everybody will remember what we were, what we thought in the beginning, but they really are totally poised to have us embrace more socialism. So all we can hope for is what I call the remnant. I think it's Albert J. not coined it, where the people who keep the ideas alive and communicate them like us, Is that they, that, I mean, I'm not a leader, I'm really a talker, but there are leaders out there who may be able to uh, tap into our dying uh, connection to what these American foundational principles were, which is why things like immigration, education, drugs, welfare, that create this underclass that can't really intellectually understand that just getting a free handout now is not worth it. Like, it's just not worth it, that that the liberty is essential to have any control over your future, to have any kind of economic well-being. So I'm just hoping, you know, the only hope would be, I think. But I, you know, really, I was always on the thousand-year plan that I really didn't, I don't necessarily think that that we will be able to do that, that this whole modern state system, which maybe started 500 years ago, I don't know, but as soon, or maybe eight, but it, that modern state system really has to die in a big way over a long period of time. Yeah, if you don't learn from reason, you have to learn from bitter experience. And I hope that yeah. it will be the former <laughs> rather than the latter. I so um, I wanted to uh, get you to mention to um, my listeners where people can find your work on the net, when your show oh. is and all that. And uh, your analysis is, is always interesting and, and uh, very uh, well-researched and well-expressed. I just wanted to put that pitch in, but if I wanted to share so your much. vital stats. I, uh, I, it's kind of surprising because I'm an anarcho-capitalist on what I guess would be considered mainstream media. I have a show on WSB, which is a talk radio station in Atlanta. My show live is on Saturday, three to six Eastern. And uh, my, but I always post it commercial free on my website. So you don't have to listen to it live unless you want to call in. Just go to my website, MonicaPerezShow.com. And there, I probably have a hundred podcasts on there already on all sorts of topics and I do my articles and a lot of book reviews that I think are just, you know, really dense books that we're not meant to really dig into. 
I like to summarize that for people who actually have to work for a living and don't have time to crack the code on what's really going on in the world. So that's MonicaPerezShow.com. Thank you so much. Are you part, I'm sorry to correct you on your own website. I've got it here. The MonicaPerezShow.com? Either one works. Oh, either one works. Okay, good. Yes, I just yes. would hate to have people rushing to something that wasn't there. Okay, yes. so MonicaPerezShow.com, and you're on Saturdays 3 to 6. And I really want to thank you for your time. It's uh, always a pleasure to speak to, I don't like to call it like-minded people, just minded people, like people huh, who are thinking yes, through I stuff. Totally, so. totally just exchanging so, ideas. I do not need to agree. But thank you so much. It was a pleasure. All right. Take care. Bye.